This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot. Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? WNBA teams now allowed to use chartered flights. Sort of. Kind of. Under. Queensland win the state of origin on points differential. Boo. I can't really boo. I'm a bit too biased, aren't I? No, but we're booing the fact that it was on points differential, right? Yeah. Thunderbirds are go. No, they secure their spot in the Super Netball Grand Final. For the key story, we'll discuss the huge mindset shift by Eng- England cricket in the promotion and marketing of the women's ashes that has seen some amazing crowds so far. So good. Again, common sense, but go on. Common sense, as we'll we often discuss on this podcast. <laughs> my name is Chloe Dalton, and I'm joined every week on the show by my co-host, Bez. How's your weekend? Yeah, a lovely weekend, thanks. We came second in rugby, which sucks. That does suck. But um, it was one of those games where just nothing went right. Hey, do you know what was cool? I was in Canberra for a Giants camp on the weekend, and we did a scavenger hunt around Lake Burley Griffin. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the stops on our scavenger hunt was the memorial for the rats of Tobruk, which the oh, Warringah Rats, our local rugby club, are named after. Amazing. It's That's pretty awesome, cool, right? How was the camp besides Lake Burley Griffin? Did you swim in it? Oh, thank the Lord they didn't make us swim. It was pretty cold. I had full thermals, gloves, puffer. I feel the cold a lot. It's a bit dramatic. I even had some, one of my teammates, Peasy, gave me some of those little heat warmer things that you put in your oh, pockets. Oh, yeah. They're quite good. Do you rate them? Yeah, I do rate them, actually. They stay warm for hours. Nice. They didn't help that much because I was on a bike, so I didn't have my hands in my pockets, but they were there in case I needed them. Windburn? Gross. Yeah, the lips are very chapped. <laughs> I've been nonstop applying the, the lip balm since I've been back. Oh, heavy. All right, let's take a look around the grounds. In a cricket, the Ashes Test match is not a disappointing it's actually amazing. I just wish it wasn't on so late. Did you say are disappointing? Is not disappointing. Oh. Are disappointing, did I? Probably. <laughs> I was just getting excited. It is exciting. I'm adding extra vowels to things. I'm so excited they're going to day five, which will be completed. Overnight, yeah. yeah. By the time you listen to this, it will have happened, but we record on Monday morning. So day f- the first four days have delivered. The Aussies won the toss and elected to bat, posting a solid 473 runs. Elise Perry was exceptional in the first innings, but she just missed out on her century when she was dismissed on 99. Oh, I felt for her. Did you see her comments on socials afterwards about? No, yeah. I didn't. She took it really matter-of-factly, big picture, we're in a good position, 99's great. Sure, 100 would be nice, but 99's still a good contribution. It's still a pretty good contribution, isn't it? Both. She was overshadowed, though, by number eight batter Annabelle Sutherland, who clubbed Australia's fastest century in women test history, reaching her maiden international 100 in 148 deliveries. How crazy is that, having your maiden century breaking a record like that? And coming in at number eight. It's so impressive. So she bettered the previous record of 156 balls set by Jill Kinnear in 1984. Um, England's first innings also featured a massive score with Tammy Beaumont becoming the first English woman to hit a test double century. She was impressive, wasn't she? Seeing it like beach balls. Beaumont scored 208 of England's 463 total and was outstanding for the Poms. Ash Gardner was Australia's best with the ball, taking four for 99 with her off spin and was the bowler to finally remove Beaumont. Also bizarre, we scored 473, they scored 463. Ten runs different. (laughs) I just thought it was. The day four, which was last night, our time, was an 
absolute cracker. Australia resume, resumed their second innings on none for 82. And I thought, oh, we're on here. It's going to be great. Literally, just as I turned it on, probably my fault, at least Perry got out. I think it was your fault. <laughs> Lauren Filer, who's playing her debut test, is she's really quite good. Um, so she took the wicket of Perry in her first over, and that led to a bit of a collapse. We found, we found, the Aussies found themselves at seven for 198 with a lead of only 208. In comes Captain Fantastic, Elisa Healy. Now, she obviously hasn't been batting real well. She moved herself down the order to number eight. Respect. Yeah. And she got a chance after her first ball was dropped and she made England pay for their error. She scored a super important 50 to help the team to a lead of 267. That's where it's poised right now. Um, the final session had everything in. Ash Gardner, again, was epic. She took three wickets late in the day. So England were none for 55 before Gardner got to work. So the equation overnight is pretty simple. England resume on five for 116 and they need 152 runs and we need five wickets. So when you're listening to this, hopefully we will have got those five wickets and it'll be all over Red Rover. Um, really great to see. This will be the first women's test to produce a result, a winner, since 2015 and coincidentally it's the first time they've played a five-day test match as the men do and maybe you know that's why we're going to get a result because four days is not enough we shared an interesting stat on our instagram page or across all our social channels around the fact that elise perry has now played half the number of tests as cameron green Mm. who both they started playing around a similar time i think pez was 2008 cameron green 2010 he's only recent no he's only been playing for like a few years. He's oh, young. How did I get that wrong? Well, you didn't. I just think the comparison was that he's only been playing for like two or three years and she's been playing forever and ever. Interestingly, though, there was a lot of comments kind of not disagreeing with her but questioning the sharing of the stat, but it's saying like she's a household name. She's done such a good job. It's like, yeah, she's overcome the fact that she's she's had such limited opportunity to play test matches. Imagine what a superstar she would be had she have been given the same opportunity that's afforded to the men's teams. Yeah, sometimes I think we need to maybe spell that out a little bit more because mm. I thought that it was kind of obvious what we were highlighting, but maybe not. That's not the case. Common sense. In netball, <laughs> passive-aggressive Mondays from us over here. <laughs> I'm grumpy after a big weekend. You are. Grumpy, Chloe. (laughs) In netball, what a weekend of finals in the Suncorp Super Netball. On Saturday night, the Adelaide Thunderbirds beat the New South Wales Swift for the second week in a row to secure their spot in the grand final. The Thunderbirds will be playing in the grand final for the first time after a thrilling 64 to 62 extra time victory. That's the kind of final you want, isn't it? Yeah. Epic game. So good. It was the first extra time clash of the 2023 season and the match became a super shootout competition. We also love those. They're good to watch, aren't they? Both teams have English international shooters and Helen Housby and Eleanor Cardwell were up for the pressure of extra time. They went goal for goal for the full extra five minutes and during extra time, super shots count for double points the entire time. Also a great rule. Yeah, I agree. I know the netball purists disagree with us sometimes, but it's a great rule and it's exciting for the fans. And I think it brings people into the game. Totally agree. The noise was crazy. Over 9,000 fans packed into Kudos Bank Arena and they rode every single shot. The Swifts fell just short and will now have to face the West Coast Fever for a spot in the grand final. 
The Fever kept their super netball title defence alive with a tough 64-57 minor semi-final win over rivals the Melbourne Vixens at Perth Arena. Wowee. The Vixens got to within two after Kira Austin's super goal with only minutes remaining, but the Fever's captain, Courtney Bruce, was huge in defence, snaring a series of crucial deflections to put the game to bed. Night-night. I rate Courtney Bruce. Yeah, she's good, isn't she? Just in case she was worried about how if I rated her or not, can confirm. <laughs> It was a massive weekend of netball that attracted record-breaking crowds. A combined 18,905 fans were in attendance, making it the largest first weekend of finals in Suncorp Super Netball history. We love that. Liz Ellis would love that. Some positive news out of netball. How good is the positive chat? The game is alive and thriving. Absolutely thriving. Right. In basketball. So a quick update on the WNBA travel situation. ESPN confirmed that the league has announced changes to the charter rules. In the wake of increased scrutiny over the league's travel troubles, the WNBA will now allow teams to use public charter service JSX, meaning squads can travel through private terminals, increasing professionalism and athlete safety. We're all about that, increasing both of those things. There's a bit of an issue though. JSX isn't available in most WNBA cities and unlike charters, the airline's flights have preset routes and times, which the league has told teams they cannot change. (laughs) It's so weird. It's actually not that great news, is it? It's effectively just a commercial airline that but you avoid the commercial part of the airport. Like you, you're getting on and off in a private terminal. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Brittany Griner situation for Giants during COVID, we went through a private terminal but flew with Virgin Australia. Is that kind of a similar setup? Yeah, but they've actually got a timetable. So it's like a private bus like a Kia ride, you know, when the little poncho comes to pick you up. <laughs> you need to explain that for the <laughs> listeners that don't know. It's an on-demand bus service. Yeah. Kind of. I guess so it's not the same ad actually <laughs> at all because <laughs> that's on-demand and this is not. <laughs> According to its website, the closest JSX hubs to WNBA cities include three in LA, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Dallas, where the airline is based, and Westchester, Westchester county in new york so jsx does have the ability to create flights outside its preset schedule which generally are more expensive but that is what the WNBA still prohibits the las vegas aces apparently previously worked with jsx to create their own publicly available flights based on their road game schedule which appear on jsx website as pop-up flights right so that was a little loophole previously There's a lot of gray in this yeah i think there's a, i think jsx um color theme is gray <laughs> Look, it's a start, but the WNBA is still a pretty fair way from providing the opportunity for all teams to fly on proper charter flights for the entire season. Brianna Stewart, Queen, sums it up. Last month said when discussing the issue, we want to be great on the court and sometimes these places we're going don't all have direct flights or we don't all have great seats. There's some very tall women. Mm-hmm. So it's part of raising the needle, setting the standard. And when you add in the security issues that the teams have been facing traveling on commercial flights, the move to charter flights for all teams needs to happen now. So I'm interested to know, Bez, what do you think is the solution for a situation like this where we see salary caps and soft caps put in place for professional sporting teams to prevent teams from having an added advantage that they might have if they have a billionaire backing them that can throw cash at whatever? Is the solution to allow 
all teams who can afford it to do it or do you think that they need to keep a cap on it if not all teams can afford to do it? We've, we've spoken about this before and I still don't have an answer for you. I thought you might have in that time. No, I, I don't because I absolutely agree that if you have the means and you have the backing and the investors that, and the money to pay for charter flights, then go for it. But then are you punishing other teams? Is it an unfair advantage? I can't answer that question. I think it probably is an unfair advantage. But perhaps that, again, a rising tide will lift all boats. So I love a rising tide. If those teams do exist that do have the financial capabilities, maybe it will, will incentivize the other teams to make it so as well. The way I see it, two solutions, three. WNBA fronts up the money for all clubs to do it. A private backer comes along, fronts up the money for all clubs to do it. I'm not exactly sure what the benefit they would get without An airline supporting. company, obviously. Thanks. That was my third solution. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> Done. Next story. Kathy <laughs> Engelbert, if you need a call, just let me know. In rugby league, what we were hoping wouldn't happen happened last week. The two-game State of Origin series finished tied at one game all. As a result, the overall winners were decided on points differential. So New South Wales lost game one 18 to 10, which meant they were going to need to win the second game by nine points or more to take home the shield. They won, but they lost. Strange emotions at the ground, I reckon, in Townsville. So game two finished 18 to 14 to New South Wales, but as we said, they needed to win by nine. So the margin wasn't enough. And I think everyone was left feeling a little bit confused, frustrated and angry at full time. From both teams too. Yeah, and I, and I think that probably makes sense, doesn't it? Because I think it would have been a little bit of a hollow victory for Queensland. Uh, Queensland fullback Tamika Upton was speaking to ABC Sport after the game. She said, it's crap, isn't it? I think everyone here deserves better. We appreciate the extra game, but results like that make you wonder if you'd prefer to just play the one game. It's tough as a competitor. She was outstanding, Upton, for Queensland at fullback, scoring a try and being nearly faultless in defence. She put a massive tackle on Tiana Penitani at one point as well, and Tiana is not an easy person to tackle. Um, her opposition fullback was also exceptional, with Emma Tonegato huge in both attack and safe down back at fullback. Tonegato ran for 209 metres and had 11 tackle busts. I thought she obviously creates a lot herself, but I felt like they were able to bring her into the game a lot more in game two compared to game one. I agree. I think the halves combination probably worked a bit better this time. Yeah. And also, again, we'll get to it, but more time together. More time. Shocking. Who would have thought? Mm. The Common Sense podcast right here. (laughs) Tasman Gray was a handful for the Blues defence and her offload skills led to two tries for the Maroons. The back rower was awarded the 2023 Nelly Doherty Medal as player of the Women's State of Origin Series for the second time after winning it in 2011. So the game was played in front of a record crowd for a Women's State of Origin match of 18,275. And again, like we said, the increase in the quality of the game was notable. So we spoke after the game one. The players probably haven't played top-level rugby league since last year and the timing of the series absolutely needs to be on the table when they discuss next year's State of Origin series. It just doesn't make sense for it to be their first game of the year. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And we did see, like I said, that step up after additional time in camp, time to review, time to analyse other players, where they're at. Yeah, just a no-brainer. So obviously the other thing that definitely has to happen is the series has to be expanded to three games. 
And the other thing that came out of it, and I, I must admit I was watching the game and I was like, all right, they're, they're on here. Like, there's an urgency starting. But 35-minute halves. Yeah, frustrating. Just why? Yeah, I don't know. Rugby league's 40 minutes. Yeah. Play 40 minutes. Play 40-minute halves. Very bizarre. That extra 10 minutes would have come really very much in handy, I think, for the Blues. I would agree. Both coaches, uh, Tani Norris from Queensland and Kylie Hilda from New South Wales, were united in their call for the women's representative contest to be extended to 80 minutes. Norris said after the match, the girls are working so hard and we're getting to a point where we're pushing the boundaries with their fitness levels. These girls came back from a World Cup last year and they played 80 minutes in test matches. So if we want to showcase the best of women's footy, let's put it out there. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Hilda also agreed, noting, I think the girls deserve to have a full 80 minutes now too. They're at that stage in their fitness and their game management and they deserve to have the full 80. Just, yeah, I think moving forward, that second game was awesome. Standalone at, in Townsville, 18,000 people. It needs to be three matches. It needs to probably be pushed back a little bit in the year and it needs to be 40-minute halves. And it's interesting, right, like, that is so exciting, the level of appetite there is up in Townsville for it to be a record-breaking crowd and the fact that you touched on it's essentially a preseason match for these players. It, it's, it's representative level. It's, we could argue, the highest level because we know that when they play for Australia, a lot of the other countries aren't up to scratch. Like New South Wales versus Queensland in Women's Rugby League is, is I would think, the pinnacle. I'm not a rugby league player, but I'd say it would be the pinnacle. I think the players agree with that too. Yeah. They hold it up as the event of the calendar. Yeah, and they're playing it as a preseason match. So the fact that the appetite is there from the crowd. All right, so the second game brought in 310,000 Metro viewers for Channel 9. Um, that's obviously not including outside Metro audience, audiences or Nine Now. Was it also through Nine Now mm-hmm. as well? Some of the average NRL TV viewership is sitting around 500 to 600K, depending on which team's playing. Huge. It's, it's pretty solid numbers. Absolutely. And again, I think obviously the timing piece is linked to the men's state of origin. And yes, there was a I, – I understand that. But I think the product is good enough to stand alone at a different time of the year where the product actually will be even improved because it isn't their pre-season matches. Exactly right. This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot, proudly supporting women in sport since 1976. Start every game on the right foot with the right fit. Get fitted in store today or online at theathletesfoot.com for netball, football, running and recovery. Now that's fit. More basketball news. The 2023 FIBA Women's Asia Cup starts today, Monday, the 26th of June in Sydney. For us, recording day, not for you listening day. The Opals will be looking to back up their bronze in the World Cup against the best teams in the region. The Opals are not only playing for the trophy, but also a spot in the 2024 Paris Olympic Games. It's getting closer, isn't it? It's exciting. The top four finishers will book their place for Paris 2024. And the new look squad will be keen to perform at home. The team will be without their seven current WNBA players and coach Sandy Brondello, who coaches the New York Liberty in the WNBA. But the team that will pull on the singlet is super impressive and shows the depth in the game in Australia right now. Townsville Fire WNBL Championship winning coach Shannon Seabom, who I should also add was my uni games coach for many years. He's a great coach. I think... um, 
Sydney Uni Uni Games team might be higher for him on his resume than the WNBL championship and Opal's coach, do we think? I think he probably just stays up at night thinking about you You were the one that got away. <laughs> oh, you better check your phone. You might get a late call up. Oh, for the Opals. Yep. Oh, I'm ready. Ready to throw a few bricks at the backboard. <laughs> Clang. <laughs> oh, dead. Um, where am I up to? No one knows. Yes. So we're actually very excited for Shannon to be taking the reins. I think this is an incredible opportunity for him and a very well-deserved one, as he's shown during his time with Townsville. He's, I, I really think he's ready for this opportunity. He's got Darcy Garbin, Tess Madgen and Annalie Maley to lead the group. They're in Group B and will play the Philippines on opening night, Monday night. So keep an eye on our socials for the results of that one at the Female Athlete Project, followed by Chinese Taipei and Japan on Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively. The finals begin on Friday with the medal games to be played on Sunday. Australia has never won a gold medal at the FIBA Asia Cup and Darcy Garbin believes the team's bond will help deliver them the gold. She said our chemistry, both on the court and off the court, will give us an edge. I think we're probably the closest team and we have a really, really great culture. That's what's special about this program. You can come in and it does feel like a sisterhood and we're connected. That's not by chance. It's because we do the work to make sure that it's like that off the court. Tess Madgen is a really great leader and she drives all of that. So it's a really special group to be a part of. The final has already sold out the key center in Sydney Olympic Park, but you can get tickets to the other sessions. So if you're in Sydney, get around it and buy your tickets now. I will add the link to the show notes. How good. Question for you, Chloe. They talk about that sisterhood. Um, and I've actually noticed a lot on the um, WNBA girls' socials, they're all catching up every time they play each other. Yeah, it's cool, isn't yeah. it? How important do you think that bond is for an, a successful team? I think it's huge. Talent and hard work are obviously very big parts of that. But the thing that stood out to me while we were chatting about that story just now is, is Tess Madgen and the interview that we got to have with her at the World Cup. And you can just see it coming out of her, the passion that she has for the group. And I think sometimes you see players talk about their group and they they tick the box in saying the right things. Like we've got a great culture, we're a great team, but you can actually see it from a leader like Tess, how much she cares about it and how much she's invested in her players. And she believes it too, yeah. doesn't she? And that belief, I know you're big on the belief piece, but yeah, it's it's pal- palpable. Palpable. Um, and she's moved to Sydney. Go the Flames. They've done some serious Go signing, the haven't they? Wow, that was there was a lot of big movement going Your on. Your mate Loz as well. Yep, Loz Nicholson back in Sydney. Kayla George is coming back. Kayla to the George Flames. will also be in Sydney. I'm really looking forward to going to watch. Get on it. I think it's going to be huge for basketball in Sydney. In some special and Olympics news, so the Special Olympics is the world's largest sports organization for children and adults with intellectual disabilities. The 2023 Special Olympics World Summer Games were the 16th Special Olympics and they featured over 7,000 athletes from 180 delegations for nine days of competition in Berlin, Germany. How cool. So good. We'll put a link to it, but if you've got some time, jump onto the Special Olympics Insta account and just bring the tissues because it's just got me right in the feels. There's some really powerful content, isn't there? Such powerful content. So it finished up over the weekend. Team Australia consisted of 64 athletes who competed across nine sports, including athletics, basketball, bocce, bowling, golf, equestrian, gymnastics, swimming, and tennis. And they were supported by 28 volunteer officials. Very good. The event was a huge success. And although a country v. country medal tally is not kept at the Special Olympics World Games because personal best achievements are valued more than medals, 
the Aussies were out there winning medals. Let's be real. There was, yeah, check out our, our Instagram. There's a great clinking video we just put up. Oh, love the clink. You love a good We've gold spoken about medal clink. Before. Just some of the achievements include every member of the six-person golf team winning a medal ranging from bronze to gold. Our equestrian team, who are the youngest members of Team Australia, all secured a medal despite riding on borrowed horses. Impressive. Well, they don't have the funds, I guess, to ship their horses to Germany. Mm. Amazing. And the bocce players won Australia's first medal at the Games when they came third in the team's event. It just the Special Olympics for me just really showcase how important sport is for the entire community and it was beautiful. Congratulations to everyone involved. In cycling, Aussie BMX star Saya Sakakabara won the most recent UCI BMX Racing World Cup event in the Netherlands over the weekend. The result takes her to third overall after three rounds of the World Cup, backing up a fifth place finish last time out in Turkey. It's a huge result for the athlete who had fought back to her best after a string of concussions nearly forced her into early retirement. Her concussion issues, you might have remembered if you got to um, watch her compete at Tokyo, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, she suffered a pretty horrible crash while leading in the semifinal. Her recovery has been long and challenging and the relief was evident after her win. She shared a post on her Instagram with the caption, is this even real? A year ago when I crashed and had a concussion at this track, I doubted if I would ever be able to race at this level again. At one point this week, the bad memories seem to feel like it's going to be too much. I'm still in shock. I gave it everything I had. This means more to me than just a World Cup win. Thank you is all I can say. Just the resilience that athletes show to get back when you've been in a really dark place is something quite special, isn't it? Yeah, and it wasn't – obviously she had that terrible crash in Tokyo, but she had subsequent crashes as well. That's just – when it's concussion, it's very scary. Yeah, and it can be a really daunting place. I've had a teammate that's been through a really long and challenging road with concussion and it's it's so tricky and we're seeing some really great research going into it because we know it's becoming more prevalent and some of the longer-term issues are more prevalent. But it's a scary thing because you don't have a set timeline of recovery. And it's also a scary – well, not a scary thing, it's a mentally challenging thing because if you've got a broken limb, you can look at it and say, okay, heal yourself. Your brain is just such a complex – Beast. Beast. I was going to say organ, but is it an organ? Yeah. Yes, it's an organ. It is. Such a complex organ that, and you can't just strap it. You can't strap your brain. Let's take a look at the key story. There was a really excellent article in The Guardian that you sent me, Chloe, during the week that compared the advertising campaign for this year's Ashes series and the one held 10 years ago in England. Strap yourself in for some embarrassing chat. The 2013 hashtag Rise for the Ashes campaign featured Charlotte Edwards on a poster with a similar poster showing Alastair Cook in front of a flaming backdrop. I think that was the extent of the women's promotion of that series. The year after, there was a Waitrose campaign, which is a- Supermarket chain? Correct. Um, After they were announced as a new sponsor of both the men's and women's cricket in England. And it was a TV advert that showed Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson and Catherine Brunt shopping in what was meant to be their local supermarket. The ad was nothing short of embarrassing. Anderson and Broad did not even interact with Brunt, who honestly could have been a random extra who'd wandered in off the streets to do her shopping wearing an England shirt. It was bizarre. Very bizarre. I was trying to find the ad everywhere to watch it, but they'd taken it down. Yes. They took it down for a number of other reasons. Jonathan Agnew, who's been in some trouble, was actually voicing it as well. Right. So, yeah, there was, it was flawed from, in all different manners. <laughs> from A to Z. Yeah. Both campaigns treated the women's game, and I think this is the important part, 
a treat the women's game as an afterthought and an add-on, like not anywhere close to being the main event. Mm-hmm. This year it was very different and the English Cricket Board has sold 75,000 tickets as a result. That's before it even started. Like there would be more by now It'd for be sure. way more. The award-winning Ashes to Ashes, two as in two double, T-W-O, <laughs> two double O. <laughs> two double O. <laughs> Ashes to Ashes campaign centres on a 30-second TV advert with split-screen images flitting between footage and commentary from the women's and men's game and concludes with the slogan, the only thing better than an Ashes series? Two. two. So good. Beth Barrett-Wild is the director of the women's professional game at the ECB and acknowledged the improvement, saying it's been a huge mindset shift internally. It's about demonstrating the value we are placing on these fixtures, recognising that we think people would want to come and shifting perception about England women's cricket in the process. Barrett-Wild admitted that in the past, the planning and preparation for the women's game has been lacking. She said, historically, England women's internationals haven't been at the top of the list of matches we've scheduled, and it's usually been left fairly late. Doing it early and alongside the men was a very conscious decision to make sure that this Ashes summer was very much seen as a men's and women's Ashes season combined. The key part was starting with the fan. I was looking back at the 2019 Women's Ashes schedule and we started on a Tuesday with an ODI at Leicester, followed by another ODI at Leicester on the Thursday. That is not a fan-centric schedule. Common sense. Mm. With all the marketing in the world, that's never going to generate massive attendances. It's recognising how much the women's game has shifted since that moment and making sure we're doing a proper service to it this summer. It's it's so important that female sport is scheduled in fan-friendly time slots and marketed early. Marketing early, they miss that so often, don't they? And early and often. Yeah. Like don't just market it once and hope that that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Early and often. And like you said, England have now experienced the upside of this. And again, like comparison is a devil. I understand that. But could you imagine an England v Australia men's cricket match being on a Tuesday? No, never. Cannot. Let's take a look at what to watch. Make sure you catch all the Aussie Opals FIBA Asian Cup matches this week live on ESPN. Tip off on Tuesday, so tonight if you're listening, day one. First Chinese, Taipei, and Wednesday, V Japan is at 7.20 p.m. AEST. In Rugby Union, the Wallaroos face the world champion champions, NZ Black Ferns. This NZ. I don't know. The whole sentence overwhelmed me. It's a bad day. <laughs> New Zealand Black Ferns this Thursday at KO Stadium in Redcliffe. The game kicks off at 7 p.m. Tickets are only $20 and kids under 16 are free. If you're in Queensland, do not miss this one. If you aren't in Queensland, you can watch live and free on the Nine Network or Stan Sport. You're flying up for that? I sure am flying up for that. I'm looking forward to the live report. Live live reports crossing to you live from Redcliffe. Do not miss the preliminary final in the Super Network between the New South Wales Swifts and West Coast Fever. The game starts at 7pm on Saturday and we held at Kudos Bank Arena in Homebush. And the coverage will be live and free on KO Freebies and also Foxtel. In... What to watch on your television. And some doco, doco news? Yeah. Movie? Feature, feature movie? Feature movie. I like it. Mm. Game On, the unstoppable rise of women's sport, showcases and celebrates the incredible recent growth in women's sport. And you can watch it now on Netflix. How good's that? 
told through the eyes of sporting legends and pioneers, the documentary addresses the big issues in female sport and also considers what has changed in recent years to result in the massive growth we're now seeing and what the future holds. How good. That's the wrap. That is the wrap. See you next week, friend. See you then. Hey, did you get to listen to the Nike podcast yet? Episode two? I absolutely did. I very much enjoyed it. It was awesome. Pretty cool. Hey, the way she, Caitlin Kiss, who's the VP of Women's Sports Apparel at Nike over in Oregon, talks about some of the innovative research they're doing in the sports bras as equipment space menstruation space making people feel comfortable and confident while playing sport yeah um top chat and made me want to go and work for nike yeah yeah it really did have that feel about it make sure you have a listen if you haven't yet it's on our podcast feed the female athlete project see you next week goodbye for now